welcome to another episode of RTF Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. Thanks for being here. Big old shouts at the top of this one for our newest patron, Catherine Williams. You can find her and her art at Rin Vision, R-Y-N Vision on Instagram. There will be a link in the description here. Thank you, Catherine. You officially put us over $100 a month, so I appreciate you. Next order of business is I got a shout out, Andrew Size. This dude just moved out to Colorado. He's been helping me with some content creation, some editing, and uh, he's just an all-around great dude. I'm going to put his Instagram in the description. Check him out. Give him big old shouts. DM him, you know, say what's up connect that's the guy so appreciate you andrew and this week's episode features vladimir kranik vladimir is an oil painter based out of canada and in this episode he gives us his origin stories from making graffiti as a uh, as a teenager in the ukraine and then moving to canada going to art school learning oil painting and then he talks about his process which i find interesting by the way he's one of my favorite living painters right now and uh he's going to have a show here in denver at ryan joseph gallery on july 17th that's right that'll be let's see that'll be in about 10 days from whenever this podcast is released i think no 12 but yeah definitely go check it out stunning works kind of like a blend of abstract and but using like classical painting techniques so the forms look really real but you can't exactly put your finger on what they are very cool stuff and yeah we talk we talk about a lot of things in this episode can't remember them all right now so you know intros are intros and uh let's just jump right into it here's vladimir Here's vladimir Kranich. vladimir Kranich. vladimir Kranich. How's it going? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. You hear me all right? Oh, yeah, I'll put my headphones on. Nice, thank you. I think it'll make it better sound. Yeah, definitely. I was actually going to ask if you didn't have any. I was going to ask if you would. Mm -hmm. Hi, how's it going? Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, thanks for uh, agreeing to do this great backdrop you have going on there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and... Start it's, it's just a it's a it's a green screen. Just, oh yeah, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm using just the yeah. the built-in uh the built-in zoom background or whatever. You can just put a picture yeah. up and it'll do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and start uh, recording uh, video. If that's okay. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, heck yeah, Vladimir. Thank you for uh, for coming on the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you've been working hard on this, uh, like your first U.S. show coming up, right? Yes, that's right. I'm really exciting. Nice. Nice, nice. I have participated in uh, group shows before in U.S. Mm-hmm. once or twice, but this is my first solo show in U.S. That's right. Nice. It, how many pieces are you uh, are you going to have there? Um, around 10. 
I still have uh, two or three smaller pieces that are almost done, so I'm not quite sure if I will be able to get them done completely mm -hmm. by the time of the shipping, which is next week, uh, but around 10 pieces. Nice. Sweet. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward most, to... Most, mostly, Go ahead. mostly new pieces, but uh, if you're a few pieces from two or three years ago. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing them in person. Uh, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. Um, and I definitely want to talk about, I guess since this is our, our, uh, our first time meeting and your first time on the podcast, would you mind, um, telling us kind of about how you got into making art as a kid and, you know, whether or not you were like a weird kid or anything like that? Um, uh, I definitely can say that I was a weird kid, but I was not a particularly artsy kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, my family is not artistic, really, in any way. And um, how I first got acquainted with art was uh, through graffiti, spray painting. Nice. And uh, my, my, I lived in Ukraine at the time, went to high school in Ukraine. And um, my friends got into graffiti through uh, you know, the hip-hop culture that was coming in through MTV and uh, this, kind of, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, they got some graffiti magazines and they saw it there and they decided to copy it. And during class, we were copying these graffitis, like just mimicking it from some magazine. We didn't know what it says. We didn't know what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, there, was no, no, there was no internet yet or anything. I was 13, I believe. It was 2003. Okay. And... Um, yeah, and like first my friends uh, started doing it and I had no previous experience with art whatsoever. No art class at school, nothing. I didn't know how to draw. Like I just, it was not my thing. I was a little bit into I was a little bit into music already. I mm -hmm. did uh, I was I was playing synthesizer. I went to music school for that and uh, nice. I think that also influenced my uh, art taste later as well. But anyway, I didn't know anything about art. I started uh, going with my friends, seeing how they do this graffiti stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, because they were because they had this like cool like mysterious status about them, I was like I wanted to, I want to do this too. So, but like <laughs> I tried, I was really really bad uh, mm -hmm. for a few months, but then I got really upset about that, and uh, I went to visit my grandma in Siberia, and I took uh, a bunch of these magazines with me, and I was like uh, fanatically copying the graffiti in those magazines for a few weeks and gradually started to get better. And eventually after one year, I became like the main person in my class doing that. And then like the main person in my neighborhood doing that. And then like the main person in my town, in my town doing that. And I got so much into graffiti and like all those, all those classmates like quit long ago, but I kept doing it and kept doing it. And I got like into like big graffiti scene and like start painting walls and trains and going all over the country and like other wow. countries. And yeah, that's, that's how it all started. Nice. So yeah, and um, but uh, around the age of eighteen, my family moved to Canada, and my my dad got a job here. And we moved to Canada, and naturally I continued doing it here, mm -hmm. and uh, met it, through internet already. Internet culture was uh, developing, and through internet, I some graffiti forums. I met some guys from locally here and started doing it with them, and uh, for a few years it was very intense. It was a very very intense, especially two thousand ten. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, then uh, and then and then the, the question arose of me going to university and uh, I didn't re I still like I just knew graffiti stuff I didn't know anything else about anything else I didn't know anything about uh, any kind of fine art art history like anything like right. literally nothing right so so uh, but my parents were like you have to go to university and I'm like well I don't know anything oh, oh by the way not just not just art I didn't know anything about anything I just was doing graffiti fanatically <laughs> my, 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 my whole teenage years yeah so the closest to the closest to that was a fine art degree and yeah. I went uh, and I went into that like completely not knowing uh, what I'm getting into yeah 
Well, that's cool. So you you didn't even like use oil paint or any other medium besides spray paint until you were in college or in university? Pretty much. And the first time I used uh, oil paint when I was 20. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Dang. You've come 20, and 20, or 20, 20 or 21. Yeah, around that time. Yeah, I can I can definitely see the uh, the graffiti influence in your work. Um, it has very like it almost sometimes it looks like it's like it might be like hinting at letters or words or something, but it's also got this fabricy kind of like liquid metallic feel to it. Um, I wanted to ask you about your work. Um, what's your what's your process like with it because it seems like you're kind of just improvising as you go along from, I mean, just based off the, the finished product, that's what it looks like you might be doing to me, but are you, are you planning it out at all when you make this, these paintings? Um, well, to go back to your um, earlier observation, yes. Uh, from graffiti years, I think uh, that the main thing that um, kind of transferred over into my art phase was the, appeal of um three-dimensionality the three-dimensional forms and mm -hmm. what kind of effect they had what kind of effect they they have purely like it was aesthetic intuition basically it was just the effect on the viewer that mm -hmm. uh, those forms had i transplanted them into the into the abstract purely abstract realm but uh everything else like the letters aspect and the uh the conceptual aspect of graffiti i have left behind Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, to your question about the process, uh, it is definitely planned. It mm -hmm. is definitely planned. It is definitely planned ahead of time. I form like um, general sort of idea, what's called gestalt in uh, psychology, also. Sure, sure. And uh, then work from general to more specific but it first starts with some kind of general idea like what kind of effect i want to have and like i think about what kind of effect this image overall image overall has on has on me so i want to have to achieve the same kind of effect on the viewer so this overall effect it has to be preserved and then i go into the details and add or subtract only in accordance with this goal of uh, having that effect mm -hmm. so uh, first, I started by doing it purely from my graffiti skills and like just transferring them to oil paint and oil paint allows much more possibilities and like flex uh, flexibility and uh, mm -hmm. infinitely broader variety of effects and uh, yeah. details and uh, uh, scope of what you can do. But um, first I did it purely uh, spontaneously from my head, uh, so to speak. I did sure. some sketches, etc. But later I saw that you could uh, achieve much more uh, realistic and uh, efficient uh, effects by using 3D modeling software. Oh, nice! And I and I and, and I started using that as my template, uh, purely as a model, as a creation of modern of, of uh, initial model, and uh, it is very useful for um, achieving realistic light and uh, color and uh, planning out, and it eliminates a lot of the process that um, that you would have to go through if you were just to paint right away. And the uh, oil mm -hmm. paint is not. Uh, it's super forgiving if you just start to kind of uh, mismatch it and like go over it uh, here yeah. and there. You kind of have to know what you're doing and where you're gonna put what. Right, right. So that so before we even come to the oil uh, painting, you have to already have some kind of template and, and or like some precise idea, more or less precise idea of what you're gonna do. Otherwise, I don't think it's gonna uh, work out as effectively, at right. least for my goals. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what kind of software are you using? Or what's it called? It's called. 
It's called Cinema 4D. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Cinema 4D. Are you familiar? Are you familiar? I'm familiar with it. I haven't really used it at all myself, but um, I know several people who are who just love it. You know, there's a, mm-hmm. apparently it's a pretty... lot you can do with it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's good for animation. It's good for color and modeling and this kind of stuff. Apparently, it's not as good for architecture and uh, doing some precise modeling and uh, for more utilitarian purposes. But for art purposes, I, I heard it's one of the better ones. Nice. And uh, But I just want to make it uh, clear. I don't just copy the image that I get from that. I take it as a template and then I use all sorts of other painting techniques and spontaneous uh, different things that they add here and there as I go in the process because, uh, I mean, I don't really see the point in just copying what computer generated for sure, you. Sure. Uh, although, I mean, that could be an artwork in its own right, and we can talk about that, but uh, it's the, the physicality of the painting and the spontaneous of the movement and the energy that you put into it and uh, the, individual, the individual mark is extremely important. So this is just a template. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, and then first two years and three years, I didn't use it. I was doing it completely out of my own head. It's just... Um, later I realized how much possibilities it can can uh, offer as well yeah so you went to school for art um what did uh, did you have any mentors while you were there i mean other than just like a normal professor did anyone kind of uh was anyone there to guide you in a in a special way at all um i can't say that no no no, no. Really. uh some professors were better than others mm-hmm. and um kind of uh, right away i was interested in more in simple terms like aesthetic aspect of art was pri- uh, had primacy for me sure. it's not like i completely wanted to ignore the conceptual aspect but the aesthetic aspect and had primacy for me and um, as a result of that I was interested in technicalities of things and how to use this paint or that paint and then these kind of brushes, what is better, like, and et cetera, et cetera, all these mediums and oil paint can get confusing. There's a lot of different aspects to it and a lot of different configurations in which you can combine these materials. But most of the professors in art school were not able to give me that kind of information. Really? Because, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because they, because they are uh, focused on, um, they're focused on more, let's say, conceptual aspects of art. Mm-hmm. In a certain in a certain vein, and also not just conceptual aspects of art, but in a certain vein of uh, thought, and uh, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. and a certain kind of like like certain kind of like uh, certain kind of discourses. Mm-hmm. And um, um, even though in the, even though in the beginning I was more open to it, I gradually realized that I'm going to have to carve out my own way because uh, a lot of uh, stuff that they were discussing there didn't interest me as much, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. Yeah. But I was lucky enough. Well, I was lucky enough to have some independent. Uh, even within the university interest in my art already, even like outside of the art faculty, I got commissioned by the university to paint murals inside the university. Right, and right. They bought, like the, the university itself bought the paintings from me. And uh, so I kind of branched out right away and went onto my own path that just didn't conform exactly to the trend that was going on purely just in the bubble of art school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never been, you know, I don't, never went to art school or anything, but uh, a lot of times I hear kind of similar stories where, uh, they're not really teaching like techniques or, or, you know, you know, basic things like value tone and all that, that kind of thing. Uh, but they, they go so far into like the conceptual thing or the like socio-political thing of art, yep. you know? Um, yep. do you think that, do you think that art should play some kind of like socio-political role in society or do you think it does 
it definitely can. Sure. But in the way that it's been presented in the last, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 or so years, mm-hmm. I feel like it's been really narrowed down and appropriated by, I mean, I'm talking about the Western world, like uh, Western Europe and North America. Sure, sure. Uh, it's been appropriated by a certain kind of, uh, how to put it, uh, liberal discourse. And uh, with the exclusion of a lot of other aspects of art, mm-hmm. and uh, often exclusion of even purely aesthetic uh, art for the art's sake, and uh, uh, exclusion of a just disinterested inquiry and exploration, it uh, meaning it was forced to have some kind of agenda, right, right, and promoted it and promoted in that way, and uh, I view it as a negative development. Uh, because sure. I, I find that it uh, fundamentally constrains uh, the freedom of what you should be doing in art. Nice. Having said that, I do believe that it can have a social function uh, in a way that it can uh, open up people to kind of non-mundane, non-linear, non-everydayness. It can bring them out of this everydayness and give yeah. them new ideas and like provoke certain new discourses. And uh, uh, in a way... Uh, in the development of media in the late 20th century, that has been taken up by films more and uh, more visual uh, uh, screen-based media. Yeah, and um, and like traditional mediums like painting and sculpture, they kind of took uh, uh, they were they went into like elit- elitist kind of uh, smaller niche mm-hmm. of the uh, of the spectrum. And uh, but it applies to all these. It applies to all these arts. Yeah, what I'm saying, and because you know there is ideology. And a certain kind of agenda pushed in the movies just as much as uh, was in the contemporary art sphere. Sure. sure. So, I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like that, like art that has like a super political agenda doesn't have very much of a shelf life, if you know what I mean. Like a century or two from now, like, like I feel like the stuff that you're making can be appreciated by anyone from any time. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like, no, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like. Uh, so, because it's just you're you're just making something beautiful and just really well put together compositionally, you know, and you don't have to have been alive in you know whatever twenty twenty one to know what's going on in this painting. If you could ever mm-hmm. even know what's going on in a painting like that, right? And that's kind of the right. beauty of it. It's you. Uh, th- that's what sparks the discussion. Like, what what is this? You know, mm-hmm. um, do you do you think about that in your work? Um, like, what, what it is, what you're trying to say, or, or if you're trying to say anything at all, or absolutely, I do think about that, and uh, it's actually often the, becomes a problem of uh, self struggle because you you start if you start rationalizing it too much, yeah, you start question, questioning what it is you're doing, and uh, to the detriment of the action itself. Sure. So sometimes I'm not painting basically for a while because I just don't know what the hell am I even doing, like how to conceptualize and how to put it. And like, do I need to do? Do I need to somehow like synchronize it with the what's going on right now in the art sphere and in the world in general, or or am I completely detached from it and I can just uh, work for the future, so to say, that someone in 200 years from now looks at it, sure. you know? And there are all these questions that we ask all the time. Mm-hmm. Funda- fundamentally, I think. At the bottom of it, I think we are completely free, and I think the freedom is the essence of human being, and uh, like real freedom com- of completely not being conditioned by the time you live in, and by the material constraints, and by 
old trends and political agendas for sure. And yeah. uh, I think art is the great vehicle to express that freedom and we can choose to live in our own like medieval time in our head if you want to we can choose to be we can cho- we can choose to be in some other paradigm we can choose we can choose any paradigm of thought and like system of coordinates we, we want ultimately and even someone tells you no that you're supposed to believe that only like this and this and it's like 2021 and you're supposed to believe what science says now etc etc uh no i just dis- disagree with that we can we can take philosophies of uh, ancient greece and appropriate them we can and like live in the, and appropriate this cosmology we can uh choose any time to live in basically that we want and uh crazy as it may sound to some no, uh, but cool. Uh, in my art, I wanted to be specific enough to preserve that aesthetic appeal and that effect that the three dimensionality and like uh, can have, mm-hmm. but at the same time, be general enough to be able to spark uh, the process of imagination in someone to for them to be able to access that imaginal realm. Yeah, yeah. So. Abstraction, I think, is really good for that, but not every kind of abstraction. I mm. kind of reject complete chaos, and I reject uh, primitivism, and like, and I reject, uh, you know, just uh, plain, uh, simple, kind of facile, uh, mm-hmm. kind of ugly forms, of <laughs> <laughs> ugly forms of abstraction, because I don't think they engage that uh, visual, uh, because I don't think they have that visual appeal to be able to engage the person, like. Right. Something more sophisticated, sophisticated can, and the, the, something that has more layers of uh, complexity. Right. And uh, you know, oftentimes, like people who don't know anything about art or just kind of don't know about abstraction, they see my paintings, and uh, some elements to them are realistic enough that they almost want to see some kind of thing in it, right. some figurative thing. They want to read it figuratively. Totally. And it's it's kind of humorous to me because when someone comes up and says that they see a butterfly in your abstract piece, you know, it can be funny, but. Uh, you know that's totally okay because it activated their imagination. Yeah. It, like it, it broke them out. It broke them out from this mechanistic kind of, oh, this is a cup, this is a, this is a, a book, this is a table. It like breaks them out of that right. and makes them reflect theoretically about what they're seeing and like makes them work to see what they're seeing and then engages them and then that conversation can lead in any kind of path. And so again, I do kind of two contradictory things here. Like I wanted to be specific enough to be able to do that, but it ha- still has to be general enough to be able to. Be, uh, to be able to uh, be taken into like an infinite number of these narratives yeah yeah your work has like uh like it's very abstract like you were saying for sure but it also has this kind of like classical feel to it like you can uh, yeah i don't i don't even sometimes like words fail right with paintings um but it looks you can tell that you although it's abstract that you're trying to make it very real at the same time like again you're talking about the three-dimensionality um yeah yeah it's that uh, aesthetic intuition i'm talking about is that what you like you just said you can't express with uh, text or words it's a uh, aesthetic intuition and uh, it's fundamentally energetic it has an energetic uh energetic effect on the psyche yeah that's what i'm trying that's what i'm trying to get and i find that these effects of three-dimensionality and the dynamism and the energy and the, all these things together kind of combined, they can create that sort of effect. But about the classical reference that you said, uh, yeah, for sure, I'm drawn to that because uh, 
you know, as I started doing art, I started to think about like what what is the kind of uh, world we're living, what is the philosophical underpinnings. Like I, I can just I can just unreflectively do it and just do it because it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does look cool. <laughs> it's like and that's super important. To, it looks cool. Yeah. Uh, to in, in simple terms, but I but I can't just uh, do it in a vacuum. I want I, I want to look at the art of the past, like where we came from, what's going on, why did these people do it this way. Why did this uh, people value it that way? What happened in 20th century? Why the hell did it all kind of break down into pieces? And uh, I, I, as, I, as I started doing art more and more, I started asking these questions and started looking into philosophy and started studying more philosophy and history and uh, these kind of subjects because I think fundamentally without having a worldview, yeah. uh, you're not going to be able to really answer what is it that you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. You're just going to be in a vacuum and you're also going to be susceptible to propaganda and like the trends and kind of like the fleeting... Uh, sort of movements and the uh, kind of superficialities of the moment you're in sure. and the, you're not going to be able to position yourself in a kind of meta level that gives you freedom like what i was talking about before yes so you need for, to have that freedom you have to know what happened before and where and why mm. are we here now and uh etc etc and uh uh start studying uh because i uh grew up in european culture context mm-hmm. yeah. and i started looking up uh, looking to where where it came from and uh, started looking to renaissance and renaissance really big for me in terms of the uh, painting and even technical influence and like the worldview that they had mm-hmm. of the human being and the uh, renaissance of course is the revival of antiquity and what's antiquity it's uh, ancient greece and rome so i went back to that because most of the content most of the concepts that we live around now not just in art but in politics and science and everything they came from ancient greece and rome yeah and like, they're all based on greek and latin and uh I thought that without knowing these roots or just at least being familiar with them, it's impossible to, to know what you're doing right now. Yeah. And um, and uh, so I went back to that and uh, started studying uh, you know, philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, and the things like that. And uh, and sometimes uh, I really felt the urge to somehow incorporate uh, figures of uh, an ancient art and sculpture into yeah. kind of into uh, into my art as well. Nice and. Uh, as a kind of archetypes that uh, come together. Yeah. It's a, mostly I want to keep it general enough, like I said before, but sometimes I just can't help, but it's like, it's like, it's calling you that image it's sure. calling you and you want to, you want to, you want to put it there. Yeah, sure. Somehow you want to, you want to incorporate it there somehow, but it has, it's like really a subtle thing. It's like, it really has to be organic. Mm-hmm. It really has to be organic and still general enough as an archetype to be able to have that effect. I actually have, um, I'm going to screen share here real quick. Because I have mm-hmm. I have one of those paintings that you were just talking about pulled up or uh, I downloaded it for this episode, so let's see, share screen, and I think it's this one. And are you seeing uh, that yeah. pa- that painting there? Cool, cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is kind of like what you're talking about, like throwing in uh, uh, an old archetype like a it looks like a Greek sculpture or, or maybe a Renaissance uh, no, this sculpture is a, or... uh, no this is actually ancient this is ancient Roman sculpture okay uh, uh, it's uh, taken from uh, equestrian uh, bronze uh, portrait of um, Emperor Marcus Aurelius oh nice who's uh, considered kind of like the chief uh, philosopher also of a school called stoicism yeah and uh i was uh, uh reading uh, his book meditations and yeah. uh and i was also in rome at the time and i just really felt the urge to incorporate it somehow into my art as Sweet. you can see here there's this uh, chaotic swirl and, like uh, really 
um, energetic sort of chaotic energy, and, but then the ranges itself into this orderly um, head bust. And the, this is in itself a metaphor for kind of gathering all the elements into some kind of order, which is what he talks about in his philosophy. Yeah. And uh, Stoicism is very uh, like, uh, it's, it, it's a hierarchical philosophy about like having a ground, having a solid grounding, having a purpose, uh, being, having kind of like uh, subjugating the chaos. Yeah. It's a, it's a philosophy. Stoicism teaches that. Do you, so, um, that's kind of what I was trying to express. Yeah. So do you, do you feel like, uh, Stoicism is one of your, like, I guess an influence that you've pulled from a, a different sort of medium outside of painting? Um, do you have any other influences also? Um, Philosophically wise, stoicism is uh, more of a side note. I was uh, interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was I was reading that particular book and the, that particular author at the time. Uh, but uh, stoicism is kind of a, a simplified version of Platonism, you can say, and it's more a, a applied to everyday life. Overall, I was more interested in Plato himself. Mm-hmm. Plato is one of the main uh, ancient Greek philosophers, and um, uh, as far as influence on my art, definitely. Philosophy from ancient to modern and to even some 20th century people like Martin Heidegger and Friedrich Nietzsche, they definitely definitely influenced my art. So mostly European continental tradition of philosophy as opposed to to, to Anglo-analytical tradition. Nice. More, more, more continental, more mystical. Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) Do you, um, and if, if we need to, we can edit this out if you don't feel comfortable answering this. But, um, when you start talking about Greece, it remind me of the, um, the mystery school. Um, oh God, I can't think of it. Elise, Elysium. Do you know about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah do you, do you of participate course. in it... that, uh, sacrament at all? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, I personally, uh, do not participate in uh, any mystery schools and I'm sure if, even if I would, I would be prohibited of telling you about it. Yeah, sure. sure, so... sure, sure. <laughs> I just, so, you, yeah, know, but, yeah. you know, I live in but, uh, but, Colorado, but the... which is kind of like a little bubble of like, yeah, we can talk about this, I think, you know, but no, we, no, yeah. we should, we can definitely talk about this and we should talk about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, the ancient mystery schools are very extremely important on, uh, development of uh, greek thought and philosophy mm-hmm. and um even though they were kind of esoteric but yeah, yeah. on the exoteric outer level they influenced uh, uh, all these main people and um the idea of art as initiation the idea is art of, of art is opening this imaginal inner dimension of, of raising consciousness um definitely mm-hmm. i absolutely believe in i believe in that power of art i think it can do that not yeah. all art, not at all times, not with all people. Yeah, yeah. Although hopefully, but but it can. I believe in the transformative power of it. Nice. For sure. It's a mystery hmm. of transforming yourself like alchemically while you're doing it. Yeah. But if you can put that imprint that energy of, of uh, transformation into the piece, it might Hopefully, I be, want to believe so. It might have the transformative potentiality capability onto the other people. Right. So yeah. Or in that least... in that in that sense, it can be esoteric. So um, 
nothing esoteric can be truly revealed. Like you can talk about these mysteries the whole time, but it's a psychological experience of transformation. Yeah, like yeah. you can uh, know, you can know like every single ritual, all these, uh, um, you know, uh, mystery participants are doing, but if you're mm -hmm. not engaged in it in that way, you, it's not going to do anything to you. Right. It's kind of like how you can tell someone about how you've changed internally, but until they go through something similar, it's kind of like a weird disconnect between the words and the experience, right? Correct. Yes, it's fundamentally experiential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a question that just popped up for me, just because I think I'm just interested in it as another uh, artist. What kind of uh, what kind of medium are you using with your oil paint there? Um, I use something called solvent-free fluid. Mm -hmm. uh, it's produced by a company called Gamblin. I'm sure most artists know. Yeah. And uh, it's good because uh, it uh, doesn't smell as bad. And it's also good because it has uh, the optimal consistency for me personally. Mm -hmm. And it's not too thin and it's not too thick because they have also this other product called Gel Kid. Yeah, it yeah, dries yeah. too. It, it dries too fast for me. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I use it sometimes for some uh, stuff where I, some fast, you know, touch ups and glazes and this kind of things. But uh, most of the bulk of the painting I do with the medium called solvent-free fluid. But uh, I often don't have it too. I run out of it and I use just regular linseed oil with odorless uh, mineral spirits and then mix them together like the standard like old school way and uh, it also works but it, it, it makes it dry longer and sometimes it's okay sometimes not. it depends on your situation and the style you work in but uh, yeah nice. I, mostly I use the solvent, solvent free fluid oh cool nice also I wanted to ask you about um, while you're painting do you you know I feel like artists kind of have to have this uh this duality in terms of like their confidence in their own work where on one hand you know you have to be again confident about what you're making like that you think it's good enough that it should be made but then on the other hand in this weird paradoxical way the work can never really be good enough uh you've never really like arrived at the peak uh, do you doubt yourself at all uh, when you're painting, or do you uh, do you get frustrated, and how do you deal with that? <clears> oh, <throat> uh, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. It there are so many variables here. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Sometimes you do. <laughs> it depends from painting to painting, and from situation to situation, it varies, and. Uh, Mostly, 95% of the time, I'm not satisfied with it. Yeah. But it's even more frustrating because you can't really do anything about it anymore in one particular painting. Right. So you're going to have to move on and to start the other painting. But you may also not be satisfied with that painting too. So it basically never ends. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I can tell which ones of my paintings are better than the others. Sure. And why? But... Every next time it's a blank slate and you don't really know what's going to come and how, how satisfied you're going to be with it or how satisfied you're going to be five years. It's fundamentally five years from now. And I've had both. I've had situations where I didn't like the work right away and liked it later. And I've had situations where I liked the work, but two years after that, I didn't like the work. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, there are so many variables. There are, there are so many variables here that it's impossible to give a, one answer to it. Yeah. Do you... But yes, usually like a default mode of mine. Mm -hmm. of my attitude to it is not satisfied yeah 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 
Yeah. I think that's kind of what an artist is, right? It's like, you're, you're just, you keep on becoming, you never really like, and maybe that's just like what being a human being is, is that you're constantly like changing and evolving and learning new things so that the next time you, whatever it is that you do, whether you're just speaking to someone or you're, or you're making a painting, you, if you're cognizant of it, you can kind of upgrade yourself and, and your work as you go along. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, it's really non. It's li- it's really non-linear. Non-linear. You know, it's uh, not mm-hmm. some one progression line. It's a it's a kind of four-dimensional chart where it goes back and forth and up and down, and you don't really know. And like your perception, your inter, your grid of interpretation of it changes, and the work itself changes according to that interpretation. And it's kind of that feedback loop, and you you don't really know. It, it, I don't really know what's going to come. So, so do you ever do you ever paint over stuff? Do you ever like start something and you're like, mm, I don't like this. I'm going to paint over it. Rarely. Or do you just plow through? And even if and even if I do, it usually doesn't work out uh-huh. um, as as well. So I try to avoid that because um, I mean I'm not talking some super small details here and there. That that happens almost all the time. Oh, I'm sure, talking sure. some. If you're talking about some big. That's huge, yeah. essential, yeah. like crucial elements of the painting. Then uh, usually no. Usually I have it uh, planned out more or less before, and um, it more or less usually works out. But for instance, last year I did a painting that I was kind of working for a month on it, and it kept not working out, and I kept reworking it and reworking it, and it ended up being like total garbage, and I just uh, get rid of it. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> usually if it doesn't doesn't work right away, it's uh, probably not going to work yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to circle back on something you were talking about, how some people see, uh, you know, that they want to pull out forms uh, in your work and they'll tell you whenever yeah. they see a butterfly or a, or whatever, or water. Um, yeah. What's your, this is, this is kind of related, What? but what's your overall take on consciousness and, and what it is, you know, do you fall more on the, like, it's a field uh that we're tapping into or do you you fall more on the side of like uh the material like phenomenon that comes from the human brain that comes from the physical brain definitely not the second one yeah yeah i believe in the primacy of mind over the material Mm mm-hmm how do exactly do they interact together is i honestly cannot an- i honestly cannot answer that because we clearly know that uh mind to a huge extent depends on the physical structures in the brain and uh, the abilities etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. but i believe as uh, human beings evolved in the separated themselves from purely nature, unconscious nature as a force, mm-hmm. and they started to create their own realm of uh, culture, and then later, to, and then technology. I believe they acquired this ability to connect to what ancient Greeks called logos, yeah. as this axis of uh, narrative, or meaning, or however you want to call it, some kind of narrative structure of the cosmos and to create that meaning and to connect 
and to align uh, themselves and, and the world according to that axis of meaning. And that this is crucial to human consciousness. And mm -hmm. uh, how exactly it happens, I will not claim. Right, right. But I, but I do think I do, I do believe in the primacy of non-material over the material. Sure. Definitely, uh, definitely. And uh, we know now that all matter is fundamentally historical. That there used to be nothing. Even official science acknowledges the Big Bang theory and mm -hmm. all these things. That the universe started at some point. And it started from basically nothingness or some kind of static noise. Yeah, yeah. Of just like field of intensivity out of which some kind of forms started to be born and infinitely started to grow in complexity. And and what is that force that makes it grow in complexity? Because yeah. <laughs> this developmental force, developmental power. We don't know, regardless of how we want to call it God or just the energy of development or in whatever name you want to put it, I believe that that exists. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, our life is to serve it somehow, to serve the goal of infinite creativity and growth and ascendance of forms and, and movement towards infinite complexity. Yeah, yeah. More and more complexity. That's the best that I can put it. Nice, nice. Do you feel like? Uh, and, and by the way, and by, and by the way, my art itself, I yeah. want to kind of I want to illustrate almost that concept of right. <laughs> kind of forms being born out of you know static noise and growing into some kind of uh, signal and like more of more and more definition mm -hmm. and the process of uh, morphogenesis mm -hmm. of or genesis of genesis of forms. Yeah, I yeah. want to capture that at some point of just enough specificity to be able to have the suggestion of forms of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And not, and not too early when it's complete chaos, like some, you know, Jackson Pollock painting or something. Sure. So, sure. so, so it's like my, my art can be seen as like zoomed in Jackson Pollock at a later <laughs> stage, at a, at a later stage of growth yeah, yeah. Of, of that chaos. As, as the so, forms are like developing out of the splatter. Right. That's right. That's a cool yeah. way to put it. I like that. Um, yeah. So as we're talking about this kind of, uh, infinite, like reaching infinite complexity, um, where do you see the future of the art world going? Uh, do you think there'll be like a push into more like digital or, or virtual reality spaces? There may be a push in digital and reality spaces. I, I think it's almost guaranteed to be. But again, that's that itself is the platform. That is the medium. Yeah, like yeah. What kind of con? Like, like uh, my question is, like, uh, what kind of discourses are going to predominate there? Who's going to control it? And mm -hmm. uh, what kind of what kind of space of uh, curation is going to be there? What kind of process of curation is going to be happening there? Yeah. I personally would not like it to be the same people who kind of uh, <laughs> do, do dominate the art mar official art market as we know it now right. to, to supplant themselves into this new digital realm and sure. control the discourse. Yeah. Because uh, uh, technology can give us infinite possibilities, but it can also stifle us. And it can also, if it's centralized in some one, uh, you know, or several monopolistic entities, and that have control over like who gets what and basically gatekeep and the kind of arrange the rules of the game into their advantage right. as 
I think it's now in the, the art world, uh, then then it would not be as good. But I think with the development of the centralized technologies like blockchain and the crypto and the, all these things, I think we have a chance right. in getting a more uh, human empowering spaces. Yeah. And even uh, and even this show that I'm gonna have what we're talking now with uh, Ryan's gallery. Yes. Uh, to who, uh, and Ryan, to whom I'm really thankful for giving me this opportunity to exhibit in US. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's a. Uh, I think it's kind of a, his gallery is a unit in an emerging kind of alternative space of ex, of, of exhibiting art. Yeah. Uh, as a kind of counter to the official super regulated, uh, old school now uh, kind of mm. art market. Yeah. That uh, that. Is not only controlled by monetarily, like through like established financial means, but mm-hmm. uh, through kind of uh, most important historical kind of ideology that I'm referring to earlier. Yeah, and the, the, I wanted to ask you about that. Why do you think? Um, why do you think this kind of? Uh, I don't know what I would call it, but it seems like in the you know nineteenth, early twentieth, early twentieth century, there was kind of more of a focus on like aesthetic and beauty and and uh, things like that and so why do you think it took a turn into more just um, conceptual you know um, one stripe on a canvas or splatters on a canvas kind of uh, kind of thing I think it uh, it is definitely a reflection of general what is called the decline of the western metaphysics mm-hmm. and um Kind of uh, because the, in nineteenth century, with the rise of science and uh, technology, mm-hmm. uh, the West became more and more secular and renounced uh, um, kind of the, the transcendental realm, uh, what was mostly dominated by Christianity in the West. Mm-hmm. And more as, as that as that uh, more and more started to disappear, uh, the uh, the traditional ideas, ancient ideas of um, uh, beauty, truth, and goodness—they kind of got detached and like spread into different directions. And uh, later in 20th century, uh, that developed more and more. Uh, and uh, fundamentally, after World War II, uh, we we have the start of a postmodern philosophy, mm-hmm. which uh, relativized everything and uh, basically, in a kind of nihilistic, in, in a completely nihilistic sense, uh, undermined. Uh, undermined the assumptions that were dominant in European culture for centuries about beauty, about order, about hierarchy, about uh, all these things. And um, it's not like they didn't have a point. Like they yeah, yeah. made some super, they, they they made some super important uh, discoveries about the nature of art and uh, and uh, the nature of our perception and the nature of uh, text and the, our relationship to the medium and, and like the the nature the, the language of the medium itself and uh, yeah. all these things and like how for instance like the Marcel Duchamp uh, kind of ready mates and the, the the urinal and like uh, the the contextualization of uh, uh, kind of useful tools, objects, and like, uh, and to bring them into museum space and how they transform based on where they are, and uh, the cons- uh, and the, the ability to to show basically to uncover the inner mechanism of the creation of the works of art, yeah. and like, and to this kind of dismantle all our assumptions of what was before that. Yes, I get it. Great, you guys did it. That's awesome. But I think that uh, <laughs> past that, that uh, nihilistic movement started going uh, further and further, and uh, we got into complete dissipation. Mm. of all objectivity and of all objects and, and of everything and of the hierarchy and uh, uh, that uh, I think is fundamentally not good and I think we need to return to some kind of uh, 
uh, more uh, creation of new access and the new forms of a building and the new forms of, uh, uh, I mean, I can't put it any other way other than hierarchy. We need some kind of new way. We, like yeah. we need some kind of new order of a series or a series of orders or some uh, something uh, that is going to fill, fill that void. Otherwise, we're going to be forever stuck in this sort of um, uh, destructive spirit of nihilism, trying to undermine and question everything and to relativize everything. And uh, that is fundamentally, it has no end. It's yeah, infinitely yeah, going to yeah. divide. It's a, it, 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 this the destructive spirit has no end. It's going to infinitely go and go, and it's going to go into get going to get into this infinite regression. Yeah. And um, and on the kind of uh, on the purely uh, utilitarian level of uh, art business and uh, kind of, uh, and the um art market and things like that it it uh, it turns into a kind of power game of uh, who can promote war and uh, who can promote more and who can put uh who can put who where and like in the system of this uh, so yeah it's, <laughs> mm-hmm. they they were they were trying to basically destroy hierarchy but they still left a hierarchy for themselves in terms <laughs> of who in terms of yeah, who yeah. they put how and they con- and yeah. control and manipulate the manipulate the market and culture yeah i think we need to Go and I think it. we need to break from that and create our own uh, other alternative spaces where we're going to have other narratives started because if we're not going to have any narrative at all, it's going to be destruction forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that made me think of like uh, reductionist materialism, right? Where like if you take a thing and you just keep chopping at it, like eventually you're not going to have anything. And if you're chopping at the like the ground you stand on, uh, which, you know, whatever, if it's the art world, you know, like you have to have, I think most people appreciate beauty. You know, you're talking about the true, the good, the beautiful. Yeah. Like truth is kind of hard sometimes to, to figure out. Good yeah. is, it can be pretty relative depending on who's perceiving or, or making that call. But beauty is pretty easy. You know, that's an easy one for us to it's pursue. Easier. Uh, yeah, I think it's easier. Yes. And, uh, and uh, of course, you know, they say like uh, this, uh, they make the most uh, incredible nonsense ever. And then they say the beauty is in, in the eye of the beholder. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to, to a certain extent, that's true, but not to an infinite relativistic extent. Yeah, not to an absolute the, extent. Yeah, no, not not to an absolute relativistic extent where it's like there's mm-hmm. infinite, com- you know, in uh, no limit to that. And in terms of truth, um, in terms of scientific truth as a accurate representation of objective reality, uh, art is basically no good for that. Right, sure. But but in this other sense of truth that we tend to overlook as a revelation of something non-quantifiable about the world, but mm-hmm. qualitative experience, yeah. like uh, ancient Greeks... Uh, called uh, the name for truth was uh, the word for truth was aletheia and it meant uncovering unveiling kind of deoccultation and in that sense art can encapsulate and show something about the world and your experience to it that regular scientific two plus two equals four truth cannot yeah so so that is very that's why art is extremely important something i just thought of and i want to hear what you think about this is that um you know as as mediums have uh 
grown and, and multiplied throughout the 20th century. You know, by the time we got to radio and television, like propaganda and mass uh, deception was easier than ever. Do you think that yep. art might just be a reflection of like, you know, giant states uh, lying to everyone all the time? Um, again, it, uh, it, it is definitely a huge part of it. As we talked before, like I said, this infinite uh, postmodern relativistic uh, dissipation of art into ever more increasing regression. Yeah. It is very easy for them to weaponize it as a vehicle for propaganda. And I think that's what happened to a huge extent. And uh, if you look at the, the how it's presented and what kind of content is being presented in a lot of contemporary art, not all, I'm not saying all, there yeah, is some exceptions. All. There are some exceptions, but official sphere of contemporary art, I definitely think it has been for a while a vehicle of propaganda for the, basically the state and these um, global institutions that are adjacent to the state. But again, it is great that uh, we can still, at least still we can, for now, before we are totally, uh, completely subjugated to some AI <laughs> force, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is a which is a big danger, by the way. Uh, we can, we still can create our alternative spaces where we can create other narratives, and uh, basically they can't do anything about it. Yeah. So we should, we should do that. Yeah, and, we they, create and all, that is what is exciting about uh, blockchain and 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 DAOs and. Uh, just all the the digital the the rising of the digital uh crypto free space you know that yeah. that's exciting i hope it doesn't get uh you know reconquested i guess i think it's realistically speaking it probably will to some extent get reconquested by these forces because they have a disproportionate amount of resources uh, sure. and uh you know uh, market you know like in the beginning when Fe when facebook was starting right. everyone was like yeah this is the biggest revolution ever now everyone's gonna have a voice and look where it's got 10 years from now yeah, yeah. it's like it's like it's like the censorship and centralization and the control and like the uh, fact checkers and all this stuff is so crazy yeah uh, that uh, it's uh anything but uh you know expression of free speech and uh i think this is because of its decentralized nature the blockchain new space i think it can avoid some of these issues and even sure. if some big even if some big platforms in there are going to get reconquested by these same powers there's going to be at least the possibility of more creating the other ones yeah. and the uh, people who are already in it and people who have been in crypto, crypto since the beginning they were very conscious of this and that's how crypto started right exactly like it was mainly started in the libertarian uh, kind of circles yeah. and uh, the people who understood that the you know the financial system and the the um, you know the, the infrastructure of speech and media systems are fundamentally corrupt and centralized and like, at the whim of some political agenda yeah so i'm definitely optimistic i'm bullish i'm bullish in crypto yeah same 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 <laughs> sweet um what so i'll just not add, to mention not sorry not to mention that not to mention that this is the best investment opportunity in probably thousands of years Oh yeah, like we could. Yeah, Bitcoin went up from one dollar to sixty grand in ten years. I mean, there's nothing else that did that. Yeah, yeah. I wish I would have uh, bought in super, super early. When did you When did you buy in? <laughs> if you don't mind me asking. Um, I started getting into it in uh, 2018. Nice. So oh, I yeah. was late. I was late. I was late to like the first major bull run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I started lo started looking into it more and uh, um, figured there's going to be probably more. Uh, and uh, guess what? It, it, it did. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I started get, started getting into 2018 and more in 2019 and even more 2020 yeah. after the March uh, after the March COVID crash. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of got, that's when I started studying it really heavily and uh, got more into it for sure. Nice. Have you? Um, I haven't talked about this in a while on the show, but have you considered uh, making an NFT out of any of your work? Um. Yeah, I'm considering that. I haven't made it yet. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I would consider that. Um. I'm absolutely uh, of the opinion of the uh, that uh, physical paint, physical paint, paintings have the primacy, and the, they are the real work of art. And NFT is kind of a derivative of that. Mm. And uh, um, skeptical as I am about it, I think it's kind of inevitable that this is going to be uh, in another sort of sub art market. And uh, yeah, I, I can't say that. Uh, I will not participate in it, but I'm, but I definitely believe in the primacy of the physical paintings because they carry that uh, tradition and that energy and that individual mark that we and that they, only they can have that effect that uh, we that often the mark of authenticity uh, yeah. that is made by the by the human in, in our age of uh, increasing machination and of mechanization of everything. I think physical paintings is going to have staying power because of that you know individual kind of creative individual creative imprint that they have yeah well I, I they're, they're not going away they're not they're not going to go away yeah i kind of draw like an analogy from um the music scene right it went heavily electronic the last 20 30 years i guess and uh but there's still there's still plenty of room for more traditional um i mean i, I guess all music is electronic now more or less even if you're just making a recording you have to use um, electronic uh, devices to to help you with that but you know yeah, I mean, well except more... for maybe live live concerts of sorry live concerts of classical music i guess they are exempt sure. from being electronic yeah 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 but if you're recording it you know you still have yeah, to use well, that. If you're... anyway but no but not live live concerts yes. yeah yeah you know you know my but my point is that like there's still room for classical music there's still room for other genres besides um besides electronic music which i happen to love kind of everything i'm i'm that guy right like i like classical music i like rap and electronic and rock and blue you know anyway my point is that the analogy between uh like digital works uh like nfts and, and things like this is that yes that will take off but i think that there will definitely be space for um, physical paintings and the, until like the VR and the technology catches up to, to making you actually feel like you're standing next to a painting, then I think there's something to be said for like in-person physical paintings, like being around like works of art like that, where that yes, right now it, uh, it trumps being, you know, even in like the most advanced VR space standing next to art or viewing art. Yeah. No, I think that should be preserved. And I think VR, no matter how good it's going to get, I fundamentally do not believe it's ever going to replace that effect that uh, being in your authentic handmade painting is. Mm -hmm. because, of, because of that uh, individual touch mm. and the, the energy, the, mm -hmm. the energy that you put in it. And uh, if you're perceptive enough as a viewer, you should be able to feel it if the painting is good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think it should never, I think uh, we are 
yes, it's gonna definitely create some uh, alternative forms of art, and it's gonna like make these like sub worlds and worlds within worlds. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think there is a danger in uh, pursuing that kind of complete escapism. Sure. And sure. we still we still have to be grounded in reality because if you do pursue if you do completely pursue that artificial world, uh, again you might be subjugated by some <laughs> subjugated by some powers and the media and the the controllers of the infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, that that are gonna be staying in the real world and controlling also the digital realm. So we we, we have to be careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you feel like um, humans are uh, threatened at all, or artists, I guess, painters are threatened at all by uh, artificial intelligence in terms of uh, replacing them anytime soon? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, same here. But, no, because, because art is the ultimate expression of the creative spirit of the humans. Right. And uh, it's ultimately expression of the free will, which I believe we have, because mm. if we don't have free will, then everything is absurd. Everything is reduced to absurdity and there's no creativity if we don't have free will, mm. which is why I'm, which is why I'm skeptical of the science, like radically uh, reductive mechanistic behaviorist, biological reductionistic approach to the human being. Mm -hmm. Sci not, not skeptical of science as method, but I'm skeptical of scientism as an ideology. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I do think we have free will and, Everything arises out of that, and art is fundamental expression of that. And the future is non-determined, and even God cannot know what is going what is going to happen. Happening, and yeah. I'll, yes, and art is expression of that. And uh, I don't think even the most sophisticated AI is. I feel like it's still going to be limited by the amount of possibilities and uh, algorithm algorithms that it's going to be able to uh, enact. And uh, I think when when humans are reduced to a formula they are they see as being humans after that point mm -hmm. um and uh dostoevsky already made that uh, observation in the 19th century mm. about how when uh, when ev when everything is going to be figured out about the human like how like the all formula about how to be happy about how mm -hmm. to achieve maximum efficiency the he the real humans are still going to rebel even against that just oh, yeah. for the sake of rebellion sure. because human nature is ultimate freedom and it's not and happiness is not uh, cannot be calculated or some or quantified in some kind of AI. So yes, AI presents great danger in terms of uh, reducing our human capabilities, but it can also uh, empower us in a way uh, that uh, it, again it depends who's going to be controlling it, yeah, yeah. how it's going to be reenacted, and uh, the a lot of disturbing thoughts here i don't want to uh, yeah, yeah. go into that that <laughs> i don't want to go into that that much but the yeah. military the, mil the military control surveillance uh, implications of that kind of technology are extremely disturbing yeah and we should really and we should really and the, again this is gonna segue into politics right away so mm -hmm. i don't want to get too much i don't want to turn it into like a big politics discussion <laughs> but people but people should really get educated about uh, what kind of negative possibilities that can arise out of that because uh, the gap between those who, if it plays out in a negative way for us, yeah, yeah. the gap between those who are going to be able to have those capabilities of AI and calculate and control everything at the same time and like have this kind of central centralized control of it, and the gap between everyone else would be so enormous yeah. that um, it uh, threatens our freedom fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the gap continues to widen uh, 
especially like in the last year or two. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's definitely a a good thing to, to be on the lookout for at the very, very least. Right. Um, Yeah. At least we should be able to be talking about it and not being censored. uh... Yeah, sure. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on the CIA? No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Nice one. um, So yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. I'll ask you a couple more questions. Um, One that I'm really curious about, recently with with people is like how has uh how's making or what has making art taught you about yourself well while making art you're not just learning about yourself but ultimately you're building yourself yep because uh, your art is almost indistinct. It's not a completely distinct entity from you. It uh, becomes part of your identity mm-hmm. and how you build it and how you make it and what kind of choices you make and what uh, art from the past draws you and all these things together. From all of them, you learn about who you are and your identity and mm-hmm. uh, where your roots are and uh, uh, like how you react to, uh, you know, to the resistance of the medium and the, the self-overcoming aspect of it, yeah. And like uh, the developmental, the developmental aspect of it, is all uh, extremely illuminating. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, I definitely agree with you there. I think it just taking up any kind of craft or study or whatever it is i think inevitably makes someone a more well-rounded person you know i mean it's it's everyone should try to do some kind of art even if they're not in any way professional they don't think they're good or whatever just the psychological process itself of uh objectification Mm -hmm. of what is in your mind and putting it into a physical medium and then looking at that this in itself is a transformative experience psychologically because you make something and then it becomes objectified, but then you—it's—it's like part of you reflecting back that, at you. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes that process of deobjectification, yeah. and that gets into the feedback loop, and you learn about yourself that way. So it's—it's it's meditative, it's transformative, it's psychological, it's revealing, it's a initiation in a way. Nice. And uh, so finally, do you have any advice, or would you have any advice for um, young artists, or perhaps your younger self? If that's an easier way to think about it. My advice would be to keep that open and free spirit of inquiry and uh, whether your views or tastes align with the current trends or not, make sure you're making them uh, your choices and what you're doing consciously and not for the wrong reasons of following some trend or trying to mimic uh, what's going on in some fleeting uh, uh, trend of the time, basically. not Try to be authentic with yourself and try to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Like, and just being honest with yourself, basically. That's what my advice would be. Yeah. Nice. Well, sweet. And I've, I've myself, I'm not trying to talk about it from some kind of high 
point. I sure. myself struggled with it, and I and I being influenced by something is fine as long as it resonates with you on some level, and you have to examine yourself all the time. Right. Why does it resonate with you? Why is this? Why is that? And uh, if you're authentic to yourself, you have to constantly raise these questions. Nice, sweet. That's great advice. I need to write that one down. <laughs> well, sweet, um, Vladimir. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. And um, let's. Rem I'll remind people that on what is it, July seventeenth? Is that the opening? That's no, right, July July seventeenth. All right, July seventeenth at Ryan Joseph Gallery. Come check it out. Um, I cannot wait to see these in person. I'll actually, for the opening, unfortunately, I'll be out of town. So I might try and, try and come a little early or if not, like a week or two. Yeah, it's really, really unfortunate that I can't come as well. Yeah. For, for a variety of reasons that are kind of beyond my control right now. But uh, I would really love to be there. Hopefully next time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, man, I can't wait for real. And again, thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on <laughs> here. And for thank you very much for thank you very much insights. for having me yeah sweet well uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next time Thank you again for listening to another episode of RTAF Podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash RTAF Podcast. And I want to thank all my patrons. You guys keep this engine running. I couldn't do it without you. Go over there and check out the tiers I have available. It includes video, uh, guest suggestions, uh, patron-only posts, and some merchandise. Thank you again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do all those little things that help get RTAF into the consciousness of more and more people. Shout out.